going to be reading from Psalm 100 and from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. If you would, pray with me before we hear from God's word. God, I pray that we would delight in your law, that we would rest, God, in your power and your authority and you as our lawgiver. God, you have given us a rock that is Christ Jesus, the rock of your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to grab onto it, that you would give us the wisdom, God, and the insight to stick to your word, to grasp it, to claw and stick to it. God, that we would not drift on the seas of philosophy and man's ideas, God. Father, I pray that you would make your word a fulcrum and that your Holy Spirit would be a lever and God, you would lever us out of our uh, comfortable ruts that we are in, God, that you would help us to surrender a little more, God. None of us here have surrendered all. Help us, God, to surrender a little bit more this morning, God. Pray that you bless in the preaching of your word. Amen. Thank you, Chris. I could use a little more time to absorb your helpful prayer. Good morning and welcome again. If you're visiting with us this morning, a particular welcome to you. Our lead pastor, Pastor Paul, is not with us today. My name is Barry, and I'm on staff here at the church, and I am going to spend our time this morning in Psalm 100. Pastor Paul is between two series, just finished a series on the wiles of the devil, and next week we'll begin a series in the book of Genesis on the story of Joseph. And so you've got me today. I'm the filler guy. Pastor Filler. I'm of the conviction that the Lord's Day should be an anticipation of the resurrection. 
In other words, that when we gather together on the Lord's Day, that we should experience a little bit, just, just a, a glimmer of what it's going to be like to be resurrected bodily into the presence of our Lord. And Psalm 100, with its direction to come into his presence with singing, with gladness, to give thanks to him, know that he is good, his goodness, know that he is the Lord, and his goodness endures forever, is something of what we will experience in all of its fullness, in all of its um, majesty when the Lord returns. And so the Lord's Day is an anticipation of that day. There was a time in the days of the saints where someone could call out, let's sing the 100th. <laughs> I'm not sure what would happen if I did that this morning. Let's, let's sing the 100th. We sang, the choir sang the, the one the first <laughs> in uh, the Psalm 1, and it was beautiful. Thanksgiving is fundamental. We understand that Thanksgiving is integral, instinctive for the Christian who knows anything, has any inkling of the godness of God and the goodness of God. It's also fundamental to Christian character. And so the psalm says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Don't you love prepositions? With thanksgiving. The manner in which we enter into the presence of the Lord is with thanksgiving. Christians, we instinctively know that thanksgiving is right. In other words, when the, when the one leper returns to give thanks, we easily identify that he was doing what was right. Say, well, yeah, you should be exactly where you are right now, on your face, giving thanks to Jesus because you've just been healed. We instinctively know that thanksgiving is right. But our understanding of the rightfulness of thanksgiving often outstrips our capacity to actually experience it. like sometimes our spending outstrips our resources. Our understanding of what God expects outstrips our, our resources. And our knowledge of what God calls us to be is less than our experience of God himself, which is what enables us to be all that God calls us to be. In other words, in our mind we identify with the one leper yeah you're doing what is right but in our experience we often identify with the other nine and so this is the main point that i would like to get across to you this morning as we spend these next few minutes looking into psalm 100 that we need to understand and also be able to display how christian faith works. And I believe Psalm 100 not only calls us to thanksgiving, but, but shows us how. And as Christians, we not only need to know what, what is right, but how to do it. And people around us need to see and experience that Christianity is not only has truth, but it works. That's true in my own life. What did it take for you to come to faith? In my own life, it, 
It took more than just the declaration of truth. I, I grew up under the preaching of the Bible. I grew up in the scriptures, and I, I never came to faith. I, I could withstand the withering heat of a thousand altar calls. My heart was dead. What it took for me to come to faith is not only an intellectual acknowledgement that what was said was true, but people showing how it worked. What it took for me to come to faith was an experience of a community that took what was true and it went into their hearts and lives and it manifested something of a transformation in them. And we need to be able to understand the importance of, of, of grasping how Christianity works and displaying how Christianity works. And this is what it is. This is what I'm talking about. That God transforms our perspective by his greatness. Know that the Lord, he is God. This is how Christianity works. This is how they give thanks. This is what sustains thanksgiving. First of all, that God transforms our perspective by the presence of his greatness. To know that the Lord, he is God, is a perspective-altering truth. Also, God renews us. He renews our affections. He renews our love by manifesting his goodness to us. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. It changes us. It, 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 it makes us drop everything else that we're, we're, we're clinging on to, and we, we lay hold of that again. This is what I, I want. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. So Psalm 100 is not only descriptive of worship that possesses thanksgiving as it describes people coming into the presence of God with thanksgiving, but it's also instructive, not only descriptive, but instructive as to how that thanksgiving is obtained and sustained. So, very simple soul work today for us on this Lord's Day. Very simple soul work. How does it work? How do we lay hold of thanksgiving? How do we sustain thanksgiving? Instinctively knowing that it is right and good to do so, but often experiencing the lack of the resources to do so. And it is very simply this. It is by experiencing God's godness. His holy and his unimaginable, his uncontestable, Godness that stops us in our tracks with all. And his goodness, his absolute trustworthiness to act in kindness and his complete absence of malicious intent. His Godness and his goodness.
And so the psalm says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And on either side of that verse is this the idea of godness. And on the other side of that verse is this idea of goodness. So I want, just use your imagination a little bit this morning and they enter into God's presence with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Those gates hinge on two pillars. And those pillars have to be working, as I say, they're described on either side of his exhortation to come into his presence with thanksgiving, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And the one pillar is this godness that the gate of thanksgiving swings on. The other pillar is God's goodness that the gate of thanksgiving swings on. And if these two pillars are not functioning, just very, very simple mechanics, if the pillars don't work, the gate doesn't work. And if thanksgiving is not in the life of the Christian, there's a pillar that is broken. The gates are not open, and thanksgiving is not, is, is, what we're, is not what we're bringing into the presence of God. If our God is diminished from God, his Godness, if we have what I've called many times as a pocket God, we've taken God off the throne and we've put him in our pocket. Why do we put him in our pocket? Because we like gods that are manageable. <laughs> we like gods that fit within the boundaries of what we think God should be like. I mean, just stop and think about the foolishness of that just for a moment. What does the word God mean? <laughs> I mean, when I hear the word God, it absolutely stops me in my tracks. I'm talking about something that has absolutely no boundaries in its omnipotence and its power and its might, that is incontestable in anything that it purposes to do, that is not thwarted by anything, and it lives in absolute otherness. I was watching a, a YouTube yesterday afternoon on how to do something in, that I was working on in the bathroom. It was an instructive video, and, and the person who had his face right in the camera talking away used an, an explicative and, and, and said, um, oh my God. And he stopped, and he said, I don't know why I say that, because I don't have a God. And I don't know why, it just, it just struck me. I mean, I know lots of people don't believe in God, but it just, it just hammered me. I, I, I literally, I, I hit the space bar on the computer and paused it, and I looked at his face on the screen, and I thought, you have no God. Wow. If God is diminished, the gate will be inoperable. If God's goodness is in doubt, that's the other pillar. God's goodness is in doubt. If you are insecure in the love of God, the gate will be inoperable. See what I'm talking about? The soul work of the Christian life. We know a lot about what God requires. And we know that God requires thanksgiving of us. It's instinctive. It's intuitive to us. Like the one leper, but often our experience is like the nine lepers. And, and need to examine the means, the substance of it. So two simple points that this psalm expounds for us that I believe are perpetual needs for our souls. That's why the, the saints of old could say, let's sing the 100. 
Why? Because there's something here that the soul is in perpetual need of. I, I read this psalm to begin the service every time I have opportunity to because it's so helpful for God's people. Our, our soul is in perpetual need of, of these things, that God is indisputable in his greatness. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Another translation says, we did not make ourselves. We are his sheep. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And secondly, that God is unchanging in his goodness. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. See, God's power is only ever wielded with the hands of kindness. God's kindness is only ever wielded with the hands of omnipotence. Come to the table this morning, we're in both. Nail-scarred hands, omnipotent and good. Know that the Lord, he is God. What? Do you know that? Know it. Know that the Lord, he is God. There's two critical parts to knowing here. Number one is belief. Number two is submission. Two aspects of, of what it looks like to, to know God, know that the Lord, he is God, to believe it and then to submit to it. On the one hand, we must believe all that the Bible declares to be true about God. You know that there's no other way to know what is true about God except the scriptures declare it. You believe it. So often I'm full of it's just plain, simple unbelief. The things that the scriptures declare to be true about God. And I'm living in unbelief. No wonder the gate's broken. The pillar's on the ground. But not only believe it, but to submit to it. You see, you see even demons believe what is true about God. It's not just a matter of believing it, but also submitting to it. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And we're good at this, I'm good at this, if we draw boundaries. I so often talk to people and I thought, you've drawn boundaries. And I see it in my own life as well. If we draw boundaries in our mind of what God is allowed to be like. Hey God, you see this circle here. Here's your boundaries, fit in there. Or if we draw boundaries of what God in our life. Hey God, here's your circle. <laughs> Governed this much. The pillar's broken. To know that the Lord is God requires both belief and submission and there is freedom in submission. transformation of thanksgiving comes from that reorientation of a life that becomes conscious of the divine presence that is uncontestable that is unimaginable in its power and its omnipotency this is what the resurrection is going to be like 
This is why the Lord's Day is an, an anticipation of the resurrection. We are going to witness when the Lord comes, God in all of his godness. But the Lord's Day is for this, for being awakened, for anticipating, for beginning to participate in something that we are looking forward to. And it transforms us. Sometimes we come in and our life is exactly upside down. And the reorientation of God's godness. Of the God of Genesis, who says, simply says, let there be. And it was. To the God of David, who humbly sat in God's presence with covenant being made with him, and you and all your generations will serve me on this throne. And David says, what am I supposed to do with this? You alone are God. There is none beside you. Isaiah chapter 40. Who are you going to compare me to? <laughs> Are you going to make something little and then say that I'm like that? A Job brought into the presence of the Almighty and says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet now. I'm just going to close my mouth. Or Abraham told to sacrifice his son Isaac. The word Isaac means laughter because they laughed when they were told that Sarah would have a son because it was so ridiculous. Now, Abraham, go and sacrifice that child to me. I love Hebrews chapter 11 that says this about Abraham. Abraham considered God. <laughs> That's only half a sentence, but it's the significant part of it. Right? He's considering that, that there's something godness in God. A reorientation of what was possible in Abraham's life because God was able to raise the dead if that's what he chose to do. It's marvelous. Absolutely incredible. And all of the air that human pride needs to breathe is sucked out of this room <laughs> in the divine presence. It chokes it off. Psalm 34, 2 says, Let the humble hear and be glad. Let the humble hear and be glad. The second pillar is God's goodness. For the Lord is God is the first pillar. The second pillar, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The gate of thanksgiving requires this pillar also. If God's godness reorientates us to God's ownership, this pillar of God's goodness reorient, reorientates us to our real treasure on earth. There's no higher good for us to lay hold of and to possess than to grasp this goodness of God. There is no pearl of greater price. When we get a grasp, when we get a hint of God's goodness. We sell everything in order to buy that field because it possesses everything. And to be brought into the presence of God and to be reminded of his never-ending mercy. Psalm 40 verse 5 says that your mercies are beyond what can be told. See, these are things that the soul constantly needs to be nourished and needs to be pillars in our lives, God's godness and God's goodness, in order for there to be any gates that swing. 
that we would enter into the presence of God through the gate of thanksgiving. This is what the resurrection is going to be like. We will know for eternity that the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And you know what will happen then? We'll leave everything behind. All the things that we've loved, all the, all the stuff that we've earned, all the, all the stuff that we've, we've paid for and worked so hard to have and wanted to own so desperately, we're just going to let it go. And that's what the gathering of God's people is, is an anticipation. You know what happens when we, when we grasp God's goodness? When this pillar lays itself down in our life? Everything else is garbage. Everything else is put into its proper perspective. God is good to us. His steadfast love endures forever. See, so thanksgiving requires the freedom that comes from submission, but it also requires the assurance that comes from God's kindness. If we're autonomous from God's godness, or if we are insecure in God's goodness, thanksgiving will wither. Everything in our life, all of our circumstances, all the conditions of our soul need to pass in between these two pillars with thanksgiving. Let me be more plain. As Christians, we often have the tragic capacity to pretend, to externalize. In other words, we, we know we're supposed to be thankful, so we pretend that we're actually thankful. Right? Sometimes. We know that what God requires. We know what is right, that it's only right to enter into God's presence with thanksgiving. And we know that's the way that we're supposed to be, so, but we're not that way, so we pretend to be the way that we're supposed to be. Thankfulness is like a mirror for the soul. You know what a mirror's like? It doesn't lie. I'm not like that. It's a mirror for the soul to consider thankfulness, what's really going on. And if we dig below the surface of our numbness sometimes, you know, sometimes do a little archaeology work, a little, little, little sifting of the, of the soil, a little digging down into what's really going on in our lives, which is significant work for the Christian. It's significant work, but it's always rewarding work. Because where we find that we need to trust God more, God is indisputable in his goodness. And where we find where we need to depend upon God's goodness more, God never fails. It's marvelous. But this is what we find sometimes. Sometimes we find fear. Sometimes there's a, a dread that in us that is crippling us. And it needs to be brought to the pillar of God's omnipotent power. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Let the mountains fall. Let the sea roar. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46. Or there's sometimes a discontentment. In other words, there's something that we want. There's something that we desire that is beyond our ability to possess. And it has become our highest good. It has become our treasure. 
that discontentment also needs to be brought to the pillar of God's goodness as the Christian's true and eternal treasure. What else have I in, have in heaven except you? And having you, what would I desire on earth? Sometimes it's failure. You might be sitting here today. Now we're talking about something that I know that I'm supposed to do, but I can't do. You ever feel like you just constantly feel like a failure as a Christian? We've made ourselves the center of everything. Christ is the center of the Christian's life. Not your performance. Not your works. God gets glory by taking all of our weaknesses and putting us into Christ. There's no glory in it for us. The glory for us is that God gets the glory. But sometimes steadfast love needs to be pushed deeper into our lives. You know, I, I often tell people this. You're at a junction right now in your life because I've gone through it myself a thousand times. Right now in your life, the steadfast love of the Lord is either going to go deeper into your soul right now or it's going to get denied. That's a junction. We face over and over and over. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In conclusion, I love the words from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that says, consider Jesus. Really, it's just the first two words there that, that say it all. Like Abraham saying, he considered God. Consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. All of these Old Testament images, all the gates and pillars and, and temples and cities and, and coming into his presence, all of those Old Testament images anticipate the Christian's experience in Christ. Jesus is the author of everything. He made and owns everything, including our own self. He is our shepherd, his rod and his staff, Jesus' rod and staff, has godness. He is omnipotent. He's also the perfecter of God's goodness to us. Because it is in Christ that God convinces us again and again and again that his steadfast love endures forever. He is the author. And he is the perfecter of our faith. This is spirit-filled religion. This is, this is power religion. God gives us his spirit to convince us that when he puts us into Christ, he is enfolding us into God's power and God's goodness in all of its strength. And when God speaks to the Christian, about thanksgiving. He speaks to us about his power in Christ and his goodness in Christ. Let me say something practical. If you haven't understood what I've said, you'll understand this. 
Ephesians 5, 4 says, let there be no coarse speech among you, but instead thanksgiving. You understand that? What would it look like for Christians to be so aware of God's godness and God's goodness that it actually salted our conversation one with another where we gave thanks to the Lord? About the circumstances of our life, about the things going on in somebody else's life. I know when men get together, they often have a certain way of talking, you know, they kind of kind of trying to outdo each other to be the, who's, who's the funniest in the room, you know. It's usually me. <laughs> but what would it look like for a group of men to be so conscious of the, of the goodness of God and of the power of God in their lives that thanksgiving was always on the top of their mind? Thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for this. Let's thank the Lord together. You know, it would actually demonstrate, not just, oh, these are these Christians who believe this, but these Christians who are experiencing this. I don't know what ladies talk about when they get together. I don't spy on them and try to figure it out. But I'm sure you also have your, your natural ways of talking that need to be sanctified with the thanksgiving of God. Thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for this. Just simple ways of, of Christian talk that the Bible is so practical with. You know, give up the way you used to talk, the way that you used to speak to one another. Talk like this, always with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, help us to grasp your word. Help us to apply it in our lives. For for your glory, Lord. Give us your spirit as you promise in order that we would be transformed. Pray it in Jesus' name.